All right, John chapter 8, verse 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks so much. Isaac, would you pray with me one more time? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the incredible and powerful person of Jesus that draws us out of ourselves and just asks for eyes to better see who you are, to understand, for, for spiritual insight, for spiritual discernment, to actually be able to understand how it is you want us to relate to you as our God, as our Savior, as our friend, as our brother, as our, uh, as our Redeemer as our creator, and all of these things in, in, uh, in our relationship to you, would you bring them home to us and make us into your people to be a blessing to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are moving through this uh, summer, the seven I am statements of Jesus. So this week is Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. Now it's interesting as you look through this passage, I invite you to keep it open in front of you or you got a, a Bible, just you keep keep that there for reference. You take this passage as a whole and there's really very little time, virtually no time spent in Jesus actually explaining what he means by this and almost the entirety of the time is spent Jesus backing up this claim. Jesus, in this sort of argument, trying to provide proof, provide evidence for, I I am really what I'm saying. And I I think it's really natural. You don't actually have to know, if you're hearing this, you don't have to know much of what Jesus is specifically saying to know he's probably making a pretty radical claim. Anytime somebody says, or starts a sentence by saying, I am blank, right? and that sentence ends with, of the world, probably pretty safe to say they're making a pretty big statement. And so this interaction, this dispute between Jesus and, and the Pharisees, 
is really a natural part of a study like ours on these seven I am statements. Because these are all found in the Gospel of John. And the Apostle John, this is one of Jesus' followers, he writes at the end of the book of John explicitly why he wrote this book. This is John 20, 31. John says, These things are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's his goal. And so John spends a good deal of time zeroing in on these kind of provocative or extreme statements of Jesus, many of them are are in these I am's, that a lot of times Jesus is identifying himself explicitly as God. Now you think about this claim, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now just there in two sentences, Jesus has claimed to be the light, not just a light, not just a pointer, a beacon, a a visual aid, but the light of the whole world, and that by following him, you will have the light of life. Now, at one level, it's not uncommon for teachers to use this analogy of providing light, to their followers. They're shedding some sort of intellectual light to, to the people who are following them. Uh, this, you know, there's a long history of that. You can think of Plato and his cave analogy and outside of that, but there, this is a pretty common thing. But Jesus is taking this a whole another degree beyond simply, I'm, I'm shedding light. I mean, just imagine if I were to come in here next, next Sunday, next week, and say, you know what, guys? I've been thinking, been thinking over this past week, and I realized something. I realized I'm actually the star of the world. I, I am the star of the world. So that's pretty convenient, pretty lucky for you guys. Uh, you just happen to be here, <laughs> and you would think, okay, we, we've got to get the wrong guy. Uh, <laughs> start this over, um, and, and that would be right. Uh, but it's that level of claim that Jesus is making here. And what I want to talk about this morning is, yes, sort of the radical, intense nature of this claim, but I also want to talk about how incredibly useful and practical and helpful this particular claim is for our time. And the reason for that is our world has so much darkness, doesn't it? There's so much confusion, so much need of light. It just feels harder and harder to find somebody trustworthy you can listen to. And Jesus is here, he's saying, I am that person. So my main point for the sermon this morning is that if you accept Jesus for who he is, you will have light in your life. If you accept Jesus for who he says he is, you will have light in your life. And I want to look at this passage in in three parts as we go through it. So first, there's Jesus' claim, and then there's the challenge to this claim. And then secondly, there's the proofs, there's the arguments, there's the evidences Jesus uses to back up 
this claim. And then lastly, the practical side of, so what? What difference does it make? What impact does it make in your life if you believe, if you accept Jesus as your light? So first, just taking Jesus' claim and the reaction to this claim. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Obviously, it's a pretty dramatic statement. But what is he getting at? What does he want us to understand? What is he trying to convey to us about his identity? Well, think about what is light? What does light do? When you think about light is pretty important, isn't it? <laughs> think about what would our lives look like without light? What happens when you don't have light? Everything gets a ton harder, doesn't it? It takes a lot longer. You're going to go a lot slower. You're, you're going to be more hesitant in what you're doing. You're, you're much more likely to make mistakes. You're much more likely to injure yourself, or you trip over something, you walk into something. Right, so, light is really important, and without light, our lives are terribly inefficient. Right, if it's really dark, you're going to be really straining. Right? You're going to be straining your eyes, you're going to be straining your mind, just to comp- accomplish just like the simplest kind of tasks. And this is all imagining a place you're already familiar with, like your home. Imagine you are in some place you're not familiar with and it's totally dark. That's terrifying. Uh, This is why a lot of times we will wait until it's light to do something. I'm I'm still actually learning this lesson. A lot of times uh, I have this bad habit of procrastinating outside projects until then it starts to get dark. (laughs) And Liz will have to tell me, Justin, maybe just wait. Just wait till tomorrow. Uh, Just wait till it's light out. And this is the analogy that Jesus is using for us to understand what our lives look like and how Jesus transforms our life, the the radical transformation that he brings. So radical, so dramatic that your life without Jesus is like you are living in darkness. And then you have Jesus now you have light. And as you grow as a Christian, or as you grow in your understanding of Jesus, as you grow in your dependency on Jesus, this light gets brighter and brighter in your life. This is what a proverb says in, in chapter 4, 18 to 19, that as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, It's like we have this light like at the dawn, and then it just goes brighter and brighter and brighter as as you walk along your Christian life. And this is the Bible picks up on the same wording, the same terminology when it talks about eternity. Revelation talks about heaven as a place where there is no sun. There's no more need for lamps or light of any sort because God Himself is like seven noonday suns. And I'm, I'm hoping this means in terms of clarity and not as far as heat, but that's the, that's the illustration. Right? That we have that sort of light from God. And in all of this, or as we're thinking about light, we haven't even begun, we haven't even touched on the importance of light to sustaining life. 
right? Living things. I remember when I was younger, I had, I don't know, probably early teens or something, but I had this Copernican sort of revolution in my mind. It was just, it was very mind-altering, right? It was a conversation I had with my dad, and we were talking about something along these lines, right? Light and, and sun and nature, and, and he said, you know, God created light so that we could have an analogy to better understand him. It's just mind-blowing, uh, you know, because that's actually what the Bible teaches, but that there is this thing, there's this thing called light, so that we can gain insight into who God is, right, and, and some of his character. If you've ever thought about this, right? but God decided, He created, decided that we were going to live in a universe that was centered around light so that we could know Him better. Right? It, it didn't have to be that way. Like God didn't create the sun and, and the moon and properties of light, and then you know, ages later, just think, you know what? Yeah, light. A oh, light is pretty cool. You know, light does some, some neat things. Light does some things that's similar to what I do. Maybe that would kind of serve as a handy illustration. No. Light is light. Light is what it is because God is light. And so it's like this way with, in fact, all of creation, that it's there to point us to God. This is what Psalm 19 talks about. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. That day to day pours out speech. Right? In other words, everything we see is speaking. It is telling us something about who God is. About His character, His person. That everything that we see is meant to help us understand, to love, and to worship God. Including light. And so when Jesus talks about being the light of life, what he's trying to get at is the difference that he makes in trying to live your life with light versus living in darkness. That's what he's trying to help us conceptualize. I mean, just take, for example, painting. Okay, Anybody just, you know, show of hands, anybody tried painting in the dark? Not talking about graffiti. Uh, <laughs> um but yeah, it's, uh, you know, total darkness, right? Imagine just like pitch darkness. And you're trying to, let's say, just you're trying to like paint a wall a different color. Think about how that would go. Jesus is saying, that's your life without him. Now, I mean, let's say you've got Jesus. It's not as if, you know, the wall is now painted, but you still got to paint it, but now... You can actually see what you're doing. You can look at what you're doing. You can see, okay, does this need another coat? Or if I missed a spot here, you can judge, you can evaluate actually what you're doing because you have light. So, needless to say, in all of this claim that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are, are not too thrilled. They're a little bit put out by this. And, and they say to Jesus, verse 13, you're bearing witness about yourself. 
It's not worth anything. In other words, and you can understand this. You know, let's say, let's say you are the owner of a business. Now you own uh, a company, and I, I come to you. Now we sit down for an interview, and I say, "Okay, there's something you need to know about me out of the gate. I am the best employee you are going to ever have." no one is ever going to work harder. No one is ever going to produce a better quality of work. No one's going to be more of a team player. While we're at it, no one's going to be more modest. (laughs) And you would say, you'd look at me, you say the same thing the Jews are saying. That's nice. Uh, Maybe let's get some more information from other people. I mean, this is why we have references, Right? It's, it's the same principle where you have a teacher come to you the first day of class and say, I am the best teacher you are going to ever have. And you think, well, that's nice that you think that. That's good. <laughs> now, maybe if another student told me that, I might put some value in that. So, I mean, you see the sort of objection that the, the Jewish leaders are making to this. It's a, it's a valid objection. And so this brings us to, kind of to our, our second point, which is Jesus' response. What does Jesus say? What kind of proofs or, or arguments does Jesus bring to back up this claim? Well, he says three different things. So uh, verse 14, he says, I know where I came from and where I'm going and you don't. In other words, I know things... No one else does. All right, verse 15, it's another one. He says, you're judging according to the flesh. In other words, I am making claims that require you to have spiritual discernment to take them in. And you don't have that, so I might as well be speaking Swahili. Right? It just, you're, it's, it's not going to register. And then last thing he says, verses 16 to 19 as his argument, he's saying it's not only him making these assertions, but it is God the Father who is backing him up. And he's saying, in other words, this is the, the God you, Jewish people, claim to worship, and everything he's told you in the Old Testament, everything there, it's about me. It's, it's validating me and who I am and that I am salvation and that I'm light. Now, I, I think it's easy to get hung up some of this back and forth. It's, it's a little bit strange, uh, and it's easy to wonder, like, why is Jesus arguing in this way? Why, why are these the arguments that he's bringing? It sounds a little bit like circular reasoning. You know, it, it, he's saying things like, it's not only make it, me making these claims, but my Father, but in order to know the Father, you have to know me, and you don't know me. So, why is he arguing like this? Why doesn't he, at some level, just say, I am the light of the world because I said so? In one sense, that kind of is what he's saying, but he is also trying to explain why these questions don't get you very far when it comes to Jesus. And when you get down to it, Jesus is claiming to be somebody totally completely unique. He's claiming divine power, divine authority, saying there's no one who is like him. He is, in fact, God. And this is why Jesus is saying, you can't find fault with me for bearing testimony about myself. 
Who else are you going to listen to when it comes to claims like this? If you are God, if you are the light of the world, who are you going to appeal to to back that up? You're saying, well, oh, you don't believe that I'm God? Uh, well, ask Jim. Jim knows. Jim, Jim will tell you. He knows. Be like, who is Jim? Why would I possibly look to him to, to find out something that important? This is why Jesus is saying, look, it's okay for me to be doing something a little out of the ordinary because what I'm claiming to be is a little out of the ordinary. So, all of this might sound uh, a little abstract, uh, a little esoteric. So, why is this important? Why does, why does this matter? Well, it matters because the same principles apply today to thinking about Jesus. Or how do we relate to Jesus? How do we determine who he is? Right? And, and how I should be thinking about him. When you are dealing with somebody who is making these sort of claims, I am the light of the world. I am bread that came down from heaven. I am the resurrection and the life. It's hard to test out those claims like you would with other people. It's not like you meet somebody who says, I'm the best tennis player in the world. You have some way of of testing and validating that. One of the ways being you find somebody who's really good at tennis and say, hey, play this guy. What do you think? Is, is he actually really good? Now, people get frustrated sometimes. They're thinking about the claims of Christianity. and say, well, now look, these people say Allah is God. You're saying Jesus is the only God. These people say there is no God. These people say we can all become gods. Now, who's to really know? <laughs> Isn't it, on some level, aren't we all just taking it on faith? And the trouble with that question is that it's actually the right question in some ways. Because the claim to be God is not like any other claim. It's not like somebody meeting somebody who's claiming to be the best tennis player. It's more like, and this is a bad analogy, but it's more in the zone of you meet somebody who claims to come from the future. You meet somebody who claims to be an alien from another galaxy. How are you going to determine that? There's nobody else that you can use to kind of fact check that. And what Jesus is inviting us to do is to do the same kind of thing that you would do in that case. Now you just got to listen. You just got to talk with this person and see what are they saying? How do they live their life? How do they speak? How do they deal with other people? How do they treat other people? And God has left us four witnesses in the Gospels where you can read about Jesus. And because God has made us for himself, the question you can be asking is, does this person, Jesus, have everything that you need? Is he who he says to be? And that would mean that a relationship with him is everything that you need in your life, 
And it also would mean that he has total command over your life. And this is why Jesus is saying that these things that I'm saying to you are spiritually discerned. You're not going to be able to use the scientific method here. You know, test and, and then you know, retest. You're not going to be able to use some kind of measuring line, some sort of rubric. Jesus is saying, I made the measuring line. So either you accept that Jesus is who he is and everything that comes with that, or you don't. And so let me go to the final point here, and I want to close with this. I want to take some time pondering this, and that is really, well, what difference does this make? Let's say you accept this claim that Jesus is the light of life. Well, well, practically, what difference does that make in your life? And I really believe that of all the I am statements that Jesus makes, this is probably the most practical, useful, helpful one for our day and our age. And the reason is because there is so much confusion in our time. Isn't there? There are so many different sources that you can listen to. If I can just be blunt here, there is so much proliferation of garbage in our world that you can listen to and be influenced by and believe and take in. And we all know this. Know that the internet is just open up these these floodgates, right, to this untapped mind, this this never before seen treasure of stupidity and ignorance. You're just flooded with this infinity of meaningless, false, useless, and biased opinions. What are you going to do with that? You you end up feeling, is there anyone I can listen to that can actually shed some light on this? Is there anyone that I can really trust? That's really the key question when it comes to Jesus, that the trust. Because giving your life to Jesus means you trust him, that you're going to listen to him, you're going to learn from him, you're going to see things, evaluate things by the light that he brings. Why is it, you know, think about just why is it some event happens in our world and you look at seven different media sources and you're getting seven different stories. Why is that? It's because every single one of those has their own set of values. Every single one has their own way of judging and trying to determine what's good and what's bad. What's valuable, what's not. Who are the heroes, who are the villains. I mean, so how do you sort through that? How do you make sense of all of that? And maybe more to the point, what do you do with the question of how are you going to live your life? What decisions are you going to make? How are you going to make those decisions? Why? What values are you going to have? What priorities are you going to set as far as how you spend your time, how you spend your money? 
what do you do with, how, how do you answer and wrestle with like really big questions? Like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a compassionate person? What does it mean to pursue justice? What does it mean to be honorable or fair? Now, you talk to 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different answers. You know, I, I realized, I'm embarrassed it took me this long, but I, I realized it took me until about seminary. And I realized in seminary, finally, how to get the most out of my education. And most of you probably figured this out a long time ago. But I realized in seminary, you know, there's a few professors here who really get it. They just get it. They understand. They know things. They know what they're talking about. Their classes are amazing. Everything they say is like pure gold. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to find out and sign up for every single class that they're teaching. doesn't matter the subject. doesn't matter how random it is. Because what matters is who is teaching it. And this is how we all operate, or naturally, like instinctively. This is why you follow people, or in social media, or, or just life. And that's why you find certain musicians, or actors, or directors, or writers, or teachers, and you subscribe. You follow them, you grab everything this person has, and, and you just soak that up, because you realize you know, I don't know what they're going to say, but I, I trust this person. Right? They've earned your trust. You can depend on them that they're going to have something valuable and you want to hear from them. That's who Jesus is. In fact, Jesus is the one and only light by which we can judge and evaluate what everybody else is saying. That's how trustworthy he is. So let me, let me just bring one more thing. I'll just finish with this. One more thing that having Jesus as your, your light would do. Right? And yes, uh, you know, practically, you have that. You're, you're going to be able to see better. You're going to be able to perceive better. You're going to have better judgment, better ways of evaluating, better understanding of, of how to navigate life, how to make your decisions. But there's another really good piece of news here, and it has to do with what light is. You know, the quality of light, the usefulness of light, doesn't depend on how good a job you do of seeing it or following it. Now, you walk around for a period of time with your eyes closed, right, or you're you're squinting your eyes really almost shut, or you, you walk into a cave or a tunnel, it doesn't affect how good the light is. Right? The sun shining doesn't depend on whether you see it or whether you stay in bed in your pajamas all day. It's still there. Still just as bright. Jesus is the light of the world. And when we trust him, we, we always have that light. It's always there. It will always be there for you to see. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the amazing clarity, the gift of clarity that you bring through your Son. Would you enable us to see, to to have spiritual eyes to see, to see clearly, to weigh things, to perceive things, to judge the real worth, the real value of things in this life. Would you open our eyes so that we can see you and we can follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.